Um, hello and welcome to the 3T RPG podcast. My name is Harrison Hunt, and with me is the beast himself. It is James Clark. <laughs> hello, oh mama. Uh, we've got no Nick today. He's got a family emergency, and I could not record tomorrow. So uh, it's just going to be the two of us today. But we're going <laughs> to we're going to have a <laughs> we're going to have a good time, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Well, if you can't tell, this is a podcast all about tabletop RPGs, and today we've got a fucking good show for you today. we got feedback, we got RPG news with News Punch, we got Whoa. What You Slaying, where we talk about what we've been playing, and we're going to do the main subject, which is mass battles. And I'm not talking about two Catholic men doing no. a rap, no. So, no, not too. Yeah, but we'll find out what that is later on, listeners. And then we got Electro Letters. But before we begin, we're going to talk about rad dudes. They are Julian Burnick, Ryan Wayhab, Ace B, and Jason Duncan. These guys pledge at the $10 tier on Patreon and thus are part of the Dark Army. But we do have other tiers too. Check them all out at 3T... No, at patreon.com forward slash 3T RPG podcast. Yes, do it. Shall we do some feedback, James Clark? Yeah, I think we should. Harahunt. Close, close. You'll get there one day. <laughs> The feedback side. The feedback side. Yes, bitch. The feedback side. It's the feedback section. Yeah, we take your comments and read them out. Yeah, feedback, bitch. So last episode we did an episode all about a uh, old internet legend myth uh, about of Sarah Barrington, a guy that played in a bear in a D&D campaign and became one of the like sort of most respected nobles in the land. Um, we got a couple of feedbacks on that. Jacob Men, he says, My own feedback on Sir Barrington is while it was an excellent diagnosis by the rules, I bet what happened was mostly a case of the GM and players liking the idea and having enough justification in the books to hand wave it and allow the character to be built. Good gamers know to never let the rules get in the way of telling a good, fun story. Well, yeah. I agree. I, I kind of thought part of it was it's a mildly tongue-in-cheek, our analysis, because we know really... It's a creative space. People can do whatever the fuck they want within it. But I just wanted to kind of analyse it, um, overanalyse it for a bit of a laugh. Yeah. And um, yeah. But yeah, I agree. It probably was that. I mean, if, say, for example, at some point in our campaign at the moment, somebody wanted to play a bet, wanted to give their levels to somebody else, you know, I'd, I'd probably just find a way to justify it and be like, that's a cool idea. Yeah, exactly. Fuck it, you can do it. You'll start at level five, you know, a couple of levels below everyone else, but you can you yeah, can be Yeah, if there. it makes sense in the story, then uh, it should always be allowed, I think. Well, yeah, and, and you know, there was, um, for example, we, we often have, it's not like a, a steadfast rule, but one of our rules is that um, if you do die and you want to make a new character, try to pick somebody the party's already familiar with, like uh, an NPC, an existing NPC, and it did come up that one of the main characters in this particular campaign is a sea hag, who's now oh, become yeah. a god. Yes. But um, we'll get into this in a bit. But as our campaign has taken place on a new planet um, where there's not much water, I kind of thought if anyone wanted to play the sea hag, we could just do it. But she would be severely underleveled and be more the power of a player character instead. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm totally up for doing those sort of like, you know, if you can justify it within the story, I don't give a fuck if it breaks the rules. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, mm. it's 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 kind of it just allows for a better storytelling, which is you know the primary goal of every campaign, really. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, John John Williams, he also comes in. He says, feedback, interesting subject going into the RPG legendary stories as a subject again in the future. Off the top of my head, I can think of the gazebo incident and Oogie the Ogre. <laughs> uh, James, I, I don't know I don't know about Oogie the Ogre, but I did, I did, I am aware of the gazebo one because it got referenced in Knights of the Dinner Table, you know, that really badly drawn comic. Oh, yeah. And um, what it is, I was I've I've read a little bit up on this story, and the gazebo incident is that uh, essentially these the a uh, bunch of adventurers were were going into this field, right? And the the DM's like, okay, you go into the field, you see a bunch of grass and trees, and there's a seven foot tall gazebo, and the players were like, oh fuck, what color is it? And then he's like, I don't know, uh, red. And they're like, shit, fuck, this thing's going to be powerful. Um, all right, I get out my sword and I attack the gazebo. And it basically, the the whole it was a whole clusterfuck based on the fact that nobody knew what a gazebo was. They thought it was like a monster. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope it's true, but it is it is an incredible story. There's another one I wanted to dive in on and in that um, comic as well, because they often share their RPG stories. And one of them was that the guys were basically running two campaigns in the same world. One of which was this um, about this thing. It's like the hand of I can't remember what it's called, but let's say it's called the hand of God or something like this, right? The idea is you're supposed to chop your hand off and replace it with this hand, and then you get all the powers, right? Um, and the one of the groups started a rumor that the head of God could be found in this cave, so that the other team that the guy was playing with would go looking for that and and not for the item they wanted. <laughs> so so they go into the cave and they find the severed head, right? And all of the party proceed to chop their own heads off and try and put it on as quickly as they can before they before they die. What? Right? But of course, it was just a normal head. It's not a real item. And it even apparently got down to the last player, and the last player was like, "Fuck, maybe they did it wrong." All right, I chopped my own head off. What? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they did so, it wrong, and he doesn't realise that everyone's just dead. I mean, maybe, maybe it could have been that they were rolling low over and over again. So he was just like, "Fuck, man, they they must have fucked up." I need a twenty on this one. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I would. Uh, uh, getting back to John Williams's feedback, yeah, I would love to dive into more legendary stories because I think that was quite fun doing that one. Yes, it actually really was. Yeah. I think it was. Um, I really liked the uh, over analysis of it all because it was. Yeah, exactly. It was just tongue in cheek. It was really funny. And we were doing it, you know, if it if it was real, how would we, as rules lawyers, allow it to happen? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Um, Michael Malarkey, he comes in and he says, I remember a tale of a 3.5 build to have a character move fast enough to break the speed of sound. <laughs> I think it I think it involved a deep wood sniper prestige class ranger and a wizard who polymorphed himself into an arrow. The sniper gets plus 10 on his ranged weapon fire for every level. A ranged weapon can fire out to 10 range increments. A composite longbow starts with 110 range increments. So for a 10th level sniper, that then becomes 210. Times 10 increments is 2,100. Starting at 16th level, a ranger gets four attacks per round. So those arrows are doing 2,100 times four per round or 8,400 feet per six seconds. That's 14... 100 feet a second or Mac 1.24 oh my god the maths on that guy I know mate but that is badass though that's fucking that's sick imagine that I mean it, just, it fires and then it goes because of the um... yeah then you cancel the polymorph midway through the spell and you know when you, have you seen people go on like you know when they do astronaut 
yeah. um, training and their cheeks go massive because of all the wind but going. But he'd do that and his skin would just come off, right? <laughs> well, I don't imagine... <laughs> just, just, ah, unless you've had, like, you know, the training and uh, sort of like the resistance training that they do in, in astronautdom. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, your skin's coming off. You're gonna, or you just faint in midair. You, you, you're, you're an yeah. arrow. You're an arrow, and then right at the end, you go right. Yeah, but I'm an polymorph. Get your knife out, and it's like. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but then you just pap, dead. Yeah, that is genius, though. It's that type of stuff that I love because you know you give players an item or a spell, and when they come up with a creative use of it, I fucking love that shit. It's just, it's beautiful. So if somebody did that in my game, I could only applaud them. But you know that would be their main strategy for every fight from that point onwards. Because yeah. nobody's going to be able to deal with a guy travelling at the speed of sound. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The man arrow. Sorry, I just took a sip of my tea. Oh, fucking well, hell. That is it for feedback this time. Um, yeah, a lot of feedback on the uh, on the Barrington episode. Um, not, not, a ter- not a terribly popular episode, that one. But I hope if you haven't listened to it yet, have a listen. It's, it's better than you think, maybe. Yeah, I don't it's know. good. It's a good laugh. Listen to it. Yes. Right, let's do some uh, some news, shall we? Uh, uh, Shut up. Oh, yeah, news punch. This is the news. Morkborg to release new bog crawl adventure on vinyl. What? As I've said before, um, I don't really like talking about Kickstarters, but when one comes along that is this cool, you've got to talk about it. So Grimdark RPG Morkborg has recently done a Kickstarter for a new bog crawl adventure. So like a like a hex crawl, like a dungeon crawl, but through a bog. Nice. Um, and this comes with an eight-page booklet mapping out an area called Targdungle and another called Trowrish along with 20, 20 smaller locales. Three warring factions are laid out here too, whose leaders include the Mudmaster and the Twisted King. And the vinyl that comes with the module serves as a soundtrack for the game and comes on a yellow and black marbled vinyl, with the inner sleeve featuring a map for players, which is fucking cool. Um, one song from the album is available on the Kickstarter page, and it's basically everything you'd expect from a soundtrack for the game. It's got like wailing ghost-like vocals, really deep muddy synths and guitars tuned to Z. <laughs> It's really fucking good, actually. Um, and it's, uh, it finishes funding on the 30th of October, and, of course, I backed it. Oh. So we'll talk about that when it comes out in April 2021. But, um, yeah, so I, I think it's a great idea. I love it. I like the fact that they're going a bit outside of the box with what they're including with the game, yeah. which is fucking cool. Um, it even includes a spoken word segment, which reads out the nameless scriptures, I assume, to some sort of spooky music. The only problem I have with this, and I think uh, I think you'll agree with me, James, is that whenever people release um, soundtracks for RPGs, um, they're never long enough. No, I mean, right? if they released, um, say, eight standard-length albums worth of soundtrack, cool. You could put it all together, hopefully either set the scene because it's different soundscapes or different zones, or put it all on shuffle, and then it would never really be the same. But speaking as I'm not a good musician, but we're both musicians, right? Mm. And the thing is, is that we to produce 
even the shite that we produce, right, and to do a, a standard eight-track album could take up to six months at least, you know. Yeah. And so that's why they're never long enough. I mean, when we played Vampire the Masquerade, we did for a while use uh, the Vampire the Masquerade official soundtrack, which actually has some, some bangers on there. But the thing is, it's only an hour long, so yeah. only, it only is a quarter of a session, and you get fucking fed up of the songs after about four sessions. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was just sort of like, oh, this song again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's got some good ones on there, but it's just, yeah, you don't want to listen to it once a week for, you know, 20 to 30 weeks, however long a campaign takes. You know what I mean? It's just... So, I, I, I don't know. I'm getting this for the adventure, because it's also quite cheap. It's only 20 quid for the whole thing. Oh, nice. Um, But I think... I, I, it remains to see how well the soundtrack integrates into the gameplay. I also found there was, a, you know, a, a dungeon synth album by by a band called Knoll. They made um, yeah, an album for a small adventure. And the thing is, is what you're supposed to do is queue up certain songs during each room of the adventure, and it's like, well, do I really want? Yeah, wanna... but if you had the same song on repeat for the half an hour they're in that room when the song's two minutes long, exactly, and also having to stop the game to quickly change over a track on a cassette tape or on your phone or whatever. I don't know. It's just it's not for not for me really. But so I hope this one's better, but I like the idea. Yeah. I like the fact that it's got the map with it and stuff like this. It's and a good idea to have, like I said, the different songs for different zones or different like small areas and that. And that's cool because those songs represent that area. But in practice it's something very difficult to execute. Execute well, definitely, yeah. Price of Cyberpunk Red skyrockets. Why? So, to concerns to coincide with the release of the new Cyberpunk 2077 video game, our Talisorian Games are releasing the new edition of their Cyberpunk RPG, Cyberpunk Red. And they recently announced that the book is going up another $10 to $60, which but, is £46. But but that's, uh, that's quite expensive for an RPG, isn't it? It is, and and but look, the fucking cyberpunk has got a pedigree in this scene, you know. But there's a there's a kind of a reason why people stopped playing it, and you know, we we played the system once, and we also didn't like it. Um, and so yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit um, expensive for a game. I don't know is going to be any fucking good, but they did state that the scope of the project and an increase in pages as the reason for the uh, for the price hike. Stating that it's a 450-page book with 140 pieces of individual art, which I, uh, you know, I get it because if you look at cyber, uh, cyberpunk cipher, right? Yeah. That, that book is beautiful. It's really well made. It's on high-quality paper with really high-quality art throughout, and it's a 50-quid book. I don't, I, but even that, a great game that I know is great. I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend 50 quid on it. Um, so. I don't know, like, uh, I don't know because Cyberpunk, I think it's a game that needs to be remade because the original system was antiquated and it's quite bad. Like, it didn't stand the test of time, unfortunately. So, I hope it's good. I hope it's good, but £46 for a game that could quite easily be quite bad. Yeah, they don't have the, um, you know, they don't have the reputation yet, um, I feel, to, to charge that amount for that kind of Well, book. you're quite right, because a lot of people played the game back in the day, but nobody is still playing it. And it's because of the same reasons that we dislike the game. Like, it's a very, very easy game to break, and the system itself is actually very dull. It doesn't. It lacks any fun factor. The setting is incredible, but the book, it, the actual 
um, the set, uh, rules are, are not, unfortunately. So I don't know. We'll probably take a look at it when it comes out. But I'm just not. I'm just. I don't know. I'm a bit, bit, bit like jaded now. It's forty six quid. I, I might have checked it out otherwise. But fuck, we'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, Big maybe. That is pretty much it for news. There was uh, basically nothing going on this week. There's those two things. So, um, shall we talk about what we've been playing? Uh, I think it's about time, to be honest. Yeah? What you slaying? Hello, welcome to the What You Slaying segment, where we talk about what we've been playing. Mm. Grab yourself a cup of tea, sit back and relax. And listen to the soothing sounds of my voice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've been continuing our old school essentials game, pl- playing some old school D&D. Um, yeah, essentially, the, the I'll just go over the plot really quickly. Uh, it was essentially that the all of the player characters owned a town. They were nobles. They were uh, well-known people. This is built up over, you know, about six months of play um, once a week and... Uh, eventually they got to the point where the king was relying on them to save the world and just said that you know they've done so much for the country in the last um, few years that uh, he would just hand the keys over to them he's going to retire he hands the keys to the kingdom over to them and uh, all they had to do was save the world and they didn't so that (laughs) is the end and it was really fucking sad because what we had is we had we had half the party on a boat in the middle of the ocean having a sh- final fist fight showdown with the big bad. All of them completely yeah. naked as well because they'd just been in an explosion. Um, yeah, completely naked. Me- there was no magic usage, so it was you know bare bones of fisting, and that was it. Fisting. Oh, and, damn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that well, that reminds me of one time when uh, 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 one of our players, Ryan, he had on his sheet. Um, weapons and it just said fist and it, t- it said the amount of shit uh, amount of damage that it did and so it sort of he wasn't thinking and he just said he was really angry at one point at one of the NPCs and when he goes right I'm going to jump over the can I'm going to fist the shit out of him <laughs> but anyway um, yeah so yeah they didn't save save the world um, unfortunately what they needed to do is get one final item and in order to do that uh, a god had challenged them to a fight he said look You've got the tools you need to make a good world and you fucked it up. But we've all got a sense of fair play because we're lawful. So if you beat me, you can you can have the item and you can save your precious little world, though I don't think you deserve it. And so Dee Dee, James's character, um, yeah. went into a one-on-one fight with him. Jump straight in. No um, prep. No prep. And uh, yeah, it was at that point, right, because we ended one of the games with you jumping in with no prep, even though he said you've got an hour to prepare. And I thought to myself, fuck, like what is going to happen so my prep for the next session was literally like i see this going three ways three right? outcomes yeah. yeah either they either they don't save the world and have to leave on their spelljammer ship which can fly in space and go to a new planet or they do save the world they get the keys to the kingdom or they don't save the world but find some way to keep it all together and live in a post-apocalyptic world on their planet um, and unfortunately it was the latter and the sad thing about it is is that it, the Pan who's the god of gods he basically even the fight out he made James's character huge he made her um, uh, equal p- power to the other god and it got lost because of one bad initiative role the yeah the god was, was um, basically on the ropes. so close yeah he was, he so was almost dead I, I think it was about 5 HP left and Didi could have taken her two attacks and and killed him easily, easily. 
But then we rolled for initiative that round. He won. DD was on only about six HP, and the guy battered her, and that was it. Yeah, took me down to over um, a half, uh, over minus half of my level, uh, HP, and I was dead, dead, dead instantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it it was really quite sad because you've really built up a a lot of stuff, and it was funny because now they've now they've left on their ship and gone to a new planet, and one of the players last week he just it, it, they done a quest, got 10 of the new currency that's on this new world and they went for all this trouble just to get 10, 10 money basically and Ryan, one of our players, he just put his head in his hands and he was like, we were fucking millionaires, how has it come to this? Yeah. Oh, and I just we... felt so bad, I was like, look, to be fair, the progress that you guys made and all the stuff you built up, you had a chance to save it and it just didn't go your way, which is, it makes me feel like a shithead but I was fair no, about but it. it was... It was the perfect, um, you know, it, the dice really did make the decision. It was all down to the dice. And yeah. They chose yeah, yeah. not to allow it. And it was like, it was just like, we just see it unfold. And I was just like, oh, oh no. Oh, no. It was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. I mean, they did actually kill the Sky God, but it was after DD's fight with him because they drove their sh- ship into him. Well, a ship into him. Um, yeah. And, through his face and, yeah knocked off his last few HP but yeah it was it was really fucking sad but it was it was quite an epic last moment to that sort of part of the campaign where you know there was a there was an epic fist fight with the big bad going on at the same time and I would cut each round cut between the uh, the fights so yeah it's quite it's quite interesting because um, when I'm thinking about it in terms of knowing what the three outcomes were Yes, if we had the kingdom, and then you know, we, uh, I would have been the the queen, mm. um, but would have you know found a way to 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 king and queen us all because we we're a party together. Um, it would have been, I feel like, uh, potentially, what would have happened is we would have moved around the world and gone to different countries. And that so that is have... exactly what I had planned. That's a sad thing. Yeah. You know, the first the first thing because obviously. The the fight happened at the beginning of the game, so I, I had to prepare like um, something to happen after that. And the first uh, mission that I prepared was that um, there was going to be a bunch of other um, sort of smaller duchies coming in to meet you um, for proposals to marry one of your sons, right? So that they could have an alliance with you, and oh you were going to have to go and like go and like meet nobles, make a decision on which one your son has to marry. It was going to get all political, and you know the other players would be your advisors, and perhaps if you offended certain countries, there was going to be wars happening. And I've got to tell oh you, my God. it would have been really fucking fun, but. I guess that's just something to aspire to again, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it just sucks I because I was looking forward we, to that part. I've been preparing for months for it. Like, but oh well, fuck it. You know, shit happens. But I do kind of feel like it's it's quite nice to the fact that we've gone to a new planet yeah. and it's really fucking weird. We don't know what's going on still. Um, we understand um, currency only just. Um, and it's really dangerous. Tons of mutations you can get. I'm pretty fucked. We've got new characters. Um, it's very fresh. World, yeah, yeah, exactly. I wanted to go for something completely different, not just another fantasy world, not, oh, yeah, you're in the modern day. I wanted to go for something to, like, familiar but different. So what, what it is, James, is, like, it's a bit like Gamma World and Mutant Cruel Classics is sort of... So yeah. it's a planet where... I think this is fairly obvious and not a spoiler, but where 
um, an apocalypse has already happened, and this is this is thousands upon thousands of years after that. And because of the nuclear fallout, you know, a massive irradiated jungle with all sorts of weird plants and weird animals has grown up around it. And yeah. it's mainly tribes, and they all, well, mostly worship the technology of the ancient ones, which were the people that used to inhabit this earth. So the players are finding things like old bad t-shirts, um, old technology, things like this that they can't particularly know how to wield, but it's kind of like magic items. But additionally, the planet is so hot, it's like 90 degree heat, and every day it burns you for damage and also mutates you. And the only way to stop that is to use um, suntan lotion, which is, I know, very stupid. <laughs> but um, And some plants have mutated to grow suntan lotion out of them, but it's also the currency. So you have to use your currency to to avoid uh, the the sun, basically. And I think that's... It's such a good idea, though. Yeah, I thought I thought it'd be a fun thing to play around with, and um, yeah, that's basically where we're at at the moment, listeners. So, yeah, we're kind of playing a uh, science fantasy uh, world at the moment, and the guys have just ended up at this tribe, and the tribe is so stupid they've been sacrificing all of their members to the sun to stop uh, to stop it from being angry because there's some strange men that come in the night and take <laughs> their people away and do experiments on them. Um, they call them the rubber men because they're wearing hazmat suits, basically. And, uh, yeah, these people are coming in at night taking this this tribe's people and their response is to sacrifice more people to the sun to please it. Idiots. And so there's only three of them left. Absolute idiots. I love it because they, they think that the party are angels because they turned up on a star, or how they see it, and crashed, obviously. And they think they, they've uh, come to save them. So they're like... Uh, yeah, so the fir- kind of worshiping us at the minute. Yeah, exactly. So the first first port of call that these guys did was they heard about the sacrifices and were like, "Well, that's your first problem. Don't do that." And all of them were like, "Oh wow, we didn't think of not sacrificing anybody. You are certainly angels." <laughs> but yeah, I, I hope you're enjoying it. I mean, it's a bit it's a bit weird, and yeah, it's science fantasy, and it's really no. It, like I said, it's cool because um, you know, realistically, you're allowing us. The, the, what happened was end game, um, but you've managed to make a new arc but a new arc so much so that it literally is so fresh it's like a new campaign at the minute that's yeah that's kind of what i was thinking as well because you know nick had just come back to the game i didn't want to to end it there so i thought i'd continue with a sort of third arc and and for a little while at least but yeah it's just interesting because you're playing in a world that has no nothing resembling civilization it's all tribal. No, right? no, not at all. It's, it's very confusing and, 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 yeah. I think we'll we'll leave that topic there, but we'll, we'll get into the sort of what we've been doing there and the adventures and stuff maybe next time um, and see what's happening. But, yeah, um, I've also been reading Veins of the Earth. Veins of the Earth. Oh, yeah. So this is a um, Lamentations uh, uh, book, and it's often, like, heralded as being, like, one of the best fucking RPG books ever made, a work of art, things like this. It costs about 50 quid to get the book, maybe more nowadays, um, seeing as it's out of print. Um, and it's, it's like, it looks like like a normal book that you would read, which is cool because now people won't think I'm such a nerd. But here's the thing about it. <laughs> it's literally an entire book, maybe three, 400 pages, about caves generating caves and also playing in caves doing uh, it's got all these weird monsters for caves like cancer bears these weird sort of blob creatures that emit light um loads of fucking weird shit and it's in the but most of the book is the bestiary and then it's like got a cave generator and the whole thing about it is making caves scary again so it's like 
you know, when you're generating stuff, it could have random 100 foot drops out of the middle of nowhere, you know, making it more realistic. Um, which is nice, but I must say it really isn't worth the money that people think it is. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, the trouble is, is that it's basically a glorified bestiary, and the artwork, I think it's by a lady called Scrap Princess, and it's it's really actually not very good. Um, it's got character, but it's sort of like scribbling, so it looks a bit dark, but it's like, the way it looks is a bit, is a bit childish, and... Uh, as good as the monsters are, and as good as the cave generator is, it's really not a book that that warrants that price tag. That's the only problem with it. It's a good fucking book, but it's not. It's not worth fifty quid. So, so don't get it. So that's veins of the earth. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I would, I wouldn't bother if I were you. It's, it's not, it's not amazing. But yeah, um, as you can probably see, I've put there, I've put the next th- thing here because on on what you're saying, we often talk about things we've got, you know, things we've been doing in RPGs this week. And I've come to a bit of a revelation about being a GM at a table, right? James has this pen that's an extending thing, so it's a little bit like, you know, one of those pointers you might use to point at a board. Um, <laughs> and I've got to say, it's revolutionised the GMing role for me. Because it it's basically about three, two, two feet long, something like that, right? And now, when I need to lean over the table and tell someone to, to uh, where something is on their sheet, I just point to it with the extending pen. Yep. And um, literally, when my, one of our players, Ryan, he's never managed to figure out what dice are which... Um, I, 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 I'll say, okay, roll a d10, and I'll just, I'll just tap it with the old stick from all the way on the other side yeah, of the table. Brilliant. It's so funny, and especially in today's um, climate, because you know we're being very um, good in in our table manners yeah. and you know face masks and hand sanitizer and all that stuff. So the fact that he can sort of extend it and sort of point at it without getting close is like, it's just, it is awesome. <laughs> very handy. It, it made me feel a bit powerful, James. I know, I know. There was a moment where as soon as Harrison first started using it, because I just took it out and I was like, oh yeah, I remember I got this pen and I extended it and everyone's like, what is that? Um, but then um, Harrison was sort of sitting there sort of waving it about, just thinking, yes, well, I think you're going to do this next. I wasn't even listening because somebody said they were doing something and I was just busy pointing at people, waving it around. And then um, I was like, I'm so sorry, I wasn't listening. Can you say that again? I really got drunk off the power of using yeah. the pen. You got used to it eventually, but and then it's like towards the end, it's like, <laughs> he was like, "James, can I um, borrow this for a while?" Like, yeah, well, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a um, a proper pointer from Amazon, but until then, but now we well, have to play online anyway because of the fucking stupid new fucking shit lockdown rules. Oh yeah. So, but, never mind. Oh, yeah. But I'm gonna still fucking use it. I'm gonna point at shit in the room. Just hold it just, to make me I'll sell myself. I just yeah. hear it being whacked, whacking the monitor. <laughs> okay, so you have a go over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to make myself feel good, you know. Um, there's two more things I want to talk about in the What You Slaying segment. First is that we were going to be slaying a Morkborg actual play. Um, yes. Obviously, uh, we should just never announce anything because we announced it and then two days later, new lockdown restrictions happened. It doesn't affect me and James, but Nick, the yeah. third member of this podcast, unfortunately, it does affect him. So yeah. we, we it affects again. postcodes, doesn't it? Three members of our table game uh, are affected by it, uh, and, and other three are not. Because they're in Greater London, which is a fucking piss take anyway. I was worried that we were going to be in that because fucking Red Hill. Some people say that's Greater London, which is insane because it's two hours away. 
Um, but anyway, fuck it. Yeah, so we're going to be playing online. So, yeah, um, what it means is that we can't really do the Morkborg actual play. I know some people are comfortable doing it online, but we're sort of not. We think it has a better dynamic when we're in person. Yeah, it loses its dynamic. We could probably just about manage it, but... I'd rather um, not. Realistically, the, the worst part of it um, is the editing. Yeah, and it just makes it, it, makes it longer and also... It makes it more difficult because I have to, yeah, the, the, just anyway, point is it won't be as fucking good, so we're not going to do it. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about was that I got banned from the OSR RPG group on Facebook. Now, but why? What was annoying about this, James, is that because of my reputation, everyone just assumed I'd done something wrong. This is the one case where I haven't done something wrong. I know I'm a troll. I know I put weird things on the Savage Worlds Facebook group and others, many others. But this is the one group where I was on my best behaviour and I got suddenly banned without warning. Um, I asked my mate Jeff if he had any idea why that would be and he went, maybe something to do with this. And he showed me a list of banned words that can get you banned immediately from the group, right? What? And I think what it is, is that, you know, one of Nick and I's first products was uh, made with Lamentations of the Flame Princess in mind. Um, I think that's what it is because um, Lamentations and Lamentations of the Flame Princess can get you banned instantly just for talking about them. What? I know. It's because of James Raggy's reputation as being a, an edgelord. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that's what it is anyway. Oh, surely they should give you a warning. Well, that's what I thought because I'm I'm pretty nice on that group, which I know is uncharacteristic of me, but... It was really annoying, and I, I messaged the, the, the admin, so if anybody's on that group that's listening, I just want to weaponize you. No, just go and message him and just say, can you can you apply to Harrison's fucking message, please? Because I just said, look, I've been on my best behavior. I don't know what the fuck has gone on. Um, st- but still, I'm still a member of the official Savage Worlds Facebook group, and, I, and uh, people are wondering why I haven't been banned from that one yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, I've been banned from the OSR group, but that's enough for what we've been slaying. Shall we do the main subj? I think we should. It's going to be a really good one. Uh, stay on your seats. You okay, James? Yeah, too too many uh, coffees this morning. I need I need more coffee. Main subject: magic. Main subject: Tokyo. Main subject. Subject. The stakes of your campaign have reached boiling point. The enemy's base, huge and imposing, is not penetrable by a group of your homeless player characters, and trying would mean certain death. So there remains only one option, to risk a full frontal assault with an army of like-minded good guys. Or maybe the player characters have pissed off the wrong guy and now the enemy is bringing 200 of their best men to your town. It's time to gather everyone up, get the hot oil ready, and defend yourself with everyone that's able to carry a weapon. The huge battles of Hollywood movies with hundreds and hundreds of men are a staple of fantasy, sci-fi and historical fiction. Where the sound of death fills the air, desperate melees fill the streets and Legolas tosses a dwarf. These battles are often the reason people get into RPGs because they see these heroes killing bad guys left and right in a huge battlefield full of combatants and they think damn I want to be that cool. So why do many people struggle to implement giant mass battles into their games? Well, today we're going to examine some of the more well-known rules for mass battles, analyse them, and give you what I think is the best foolproof way of running full-scale military battles in an RPG. Oh yeah. You ready, James? Oh, I'm so ready. Looped up? 
don't need it. <laughs> Good. Well, first up, let's talk about the common problems that people have and why people struggle with this. So that when we look at the systems in use currently, we can tell if they're good, right? So when the idea of mass combat is thought about, we often think of a war game scenario where the players, perhaps having amassed a kingdom, send their men to the front lines, devising a plan, a plan and then watching the reports roll in as their men are killed or maybe do some killing themselves. And while this actually isn't a terrible way of doing it, it has a couple of problems. First up, the players aren't actually doing the rolling for the combat because they're just sending other people off, right? They may make leadership roles to their men, which may affect the battle, but what after that, what happens? The GM rolls for his side, the players roll for theirs, and we just describe how a big military situation goes down. And it's okay, but it's not exciting, and it also ignores a central point of warfare particularly in fantasy games. The leaders are usually expected to fight alongside the troops in fantasy, I should point out. Nowadays, they don't do that, don't they, boys? Political. <laughs> yeah, too good. Need to stay at the uh, back. Right, exactly. So, yeah, um, so yeah, the, the, if in fantasy games specifically, you know, and probably in a lot of sci-fi and science fantasy, right, if the, if the leaders don't fight, fight alongside everyone else, then they might have a mutiny on their hands. So they've got to be in there. In medieval battles, it's unlikely that leaders will be killed in battle and would often wear resplendent armour so to signify who they are, and thus will be captured rather than killed and used as a bargaining chip. It makes them less likely to die, of course, but then Richard III died in a big battle after his helmet fell off and he got battered to fuck. So it can still happen. Yeah, of um, now, it's a battle. Y- it's a battle. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, one stray sword and you're, you're dying in the battle. <laughs> but yeah, so it can happen accidentally. People can, you know, some overzealous twat can, while he's trying to capture you, accidentally kill you, this and the other. So this is obviously a bit different from like modern war-based games as great leaders are rarely expected to fight. But I have a solution for that, which I'll get into later. I guess what I'm saying is is that when you read a book with a huge battle in it or see a film with the same, what does the director do? He focuses in on the main characters as they scrap amidst a hail of projectiles and swords. It's not just a zoomed out shot of two armies fighting like you're watching a game of Command and Conquer because that would be mental, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, imagine Lord of the Rings, right? And it gets to all those really cool battles where, they're, where there's that one where they're trying to defend a place. I forget what the fuck it's called. Helm's Deep or some shit. Mm. And, uh, yeah, imagine if it, the camera just zoomed out and you just watched sort of two armies just yeah, sort of... Aerial do- view, just like... Yeah. Man, I would pay to see that cut of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that would be great. Just You just see them look like ants, like... Oh, we've had the voices like in the Worms games as well. So, yeah, the first part of my advice is this. Focus in on each character's scenes in the battle and play those out, perhaps making roles for their side based on the success of each character's scene. One product that wholly misunderstands this is Zack Smith's Red and Pleasant Land, where vampire queens vie for power in a dark version of Wonderland. And here's Zack's suggestion, James, and I think you're going to hate this, but he suggests that when two opposing sides engage in large-scale conflict, that the DM clears the table and the players and the, the GM engage in a game of chess with him. Oh, fuck off. And the winner determines the outcome. No. Nope. Yeah. Nope. I think that sucks for one main reason, is that at the, I think at the table, our table, I'm probably, maybe James T, but I think I'm the only one that could play chess. Do you know no, the no. moves in chess? Yeah, I can play chess. All right, so, but so then three of us. We're out of practice, so it would be a really oh, long, no, boring I mean, game I'm, of chess. I'm, I'm very bad at it. I mean, 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm at uh, maybe a level of a twelve year old, like an average twelve year old, an average, maybe mildly retarded one. Yeah, mild though, mild. I'm not mild. trying to offend you here, but yeah, this is obviously fucking terrible. It completely fails to include the characters' abilities into the fight, and also completely abstracts out any nuance to the fight, boiling it down to a simple win or lose, which is often not the case in most military battles. A game that understands the cinematic ideals of big battles is Savage Worlds. Oh, yeah. Now, in Savage, Savage Worlds, the target number is almost always a four. Any multiple of four rolled over a four is a raise, which means further success. So that is going to become important, which is why I'm pointing it out. But this is used to good effect in their mass battle system where armies start with tokens based on their advantages in the fight and the numbers of their fighting forces. So players then decide the character's role in battle and appropriate skills such as knowledge battle for strategizing or shooting for sniping the enemy numbers from a distance or maybe intimidation for a rallying cry that unsettles the enemy. The successes and raises are then added together for bonuses on the overall battle roll at the end for each side basically. Mm. And the battle roll is affected too by such things as how many men you have compared to the enemy, tactical advantages, uh, whether or not you know you ate that morning, things like this. <laughs> um, but then when the two sides lose tokens based on who won each round, and depending on how many died and any tactical advantages, each side does a morale check. And if you lose, you lose control of your forces, and they just scatter and they bugger off. If both continue to fight, then you repeat the steps again. It's actually really fucking cool. And it's quite brilliant because the book says it's important to narrate the scenes of the characters' bravery as they take part in each round. Each round represents two hours of hard fighting. Oh, so wow. That's um, pretty awesome. It is fucking awesome. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we played one in our Dark Tower campaign for which we use Savage Worlds. And I think, yeah, you... It might have been you. I think you were on the roof, James, sniping people at the time. So Yeah, I didn't realise it was um, depicting two hours. I did mention it at the time, but, you know, it's been about a year since that game happened. Yeah. And, and yeah, so essentially um, it was a 16-hour fight where James uh, f was moving around the battlefield to different sniping locations and, and picking people off with a team of uh, villagers that he trained to, to, uh, to shoot. And it was pretty fucking cool because you sort of focus in on that, then the tokens are on the table representing sort of the, their, the health and the morale of each army um, and how many men they have. Um, but the focus is on the players. But you've got a representation there showing you, you know, how how the battle's going overall, which I think is just fantastic. Really well done. Characters can, of course, take wounds, you know, during these battles as well. If they fail their roles, making it it's really fucking easy to die in a mass battle in Savage Worlds, which is fair. Makes sense. Yep. But, but yeah, I've played a few, a few of them, and it's always tense, exciting, works extremely well at making the players and the battle a focus without simulating every tiny move. The only shame is is that this battle system isn't portable to any other system, right? It's really fucking good, but it doesn't work on any other system because it hinges on successes and raises. So it's like, how the fuck are you supposed to... Because, yeah, you could do it by how many numbers you got above the target number in D&D, &D, do you know what I mean? But it would just yeah. be too cumbersome. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, it would be, be a bit shit, but yeah. So, Mass Battles and Savage Worlds, you played one. Do you like them? Are they nice? Can they be used as a wall uh, as a wall insulation? I fucked up my own joke. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. From what I remember, it was it was very good and entertaining and fun. But like you said, it doesn't port over to any other system. It's the perfect system for Savage Worlds. Give you that, of course. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You want something? I, in my opinion, you want something that you could use 
more broadly in other areas so that as soon as it happens you know potentially everyone at the table oh, i was like oh we've been we've done one of these before we know exactly how it's going to go down i'm really excited for it and then well, we can well, get exactly. into the thick of it more quickly and you know it is perfect but it's the unfortunate thing is it only works for that game if i'm playing that game it's the fucking system i'm going to use but i would i would just love it i mean and savage worlds you know by default it sort of uh, requires you to have a couple of props like uh, chips for bennies and uh, you know a pack of playing cards so mm. the thing is is that a lot of these little things like having tokens for each army is much easier to do on the fly if a mass battle for some reason comes up so yeah. right, which is not really an expectation of any other game or many other games to have uh, poker chips and a poker deck on you so yeah, um, but yeah, so it kind of thinking about this system though brings me to the other um, other problem that a lot of people have with mass battles, which is the idea that a mass battle is just like a normal fight but with shit loads of people, right? Um, which obviously is going to take fucking forever. And I've actually seen a GM pull out fifty uh, a fifty enemy fight for a big fight encounter, which in a movie or a book would be really fucking epic, right? Because it would be quick. It'd be like like take for instance, you know, in uh, Matrix Reloaded, the second one, right? That huge fucking fight where he's, he's fighting off like twenty thousand Agent Smiths. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool in the film. Imagine playing that in an RPG. Imagine James, if you were Neo, right, Ugh. and we played out every round of that combat. How long would that take? I mean, that would take ages. It's cool. Uh, no, no. No, it wouldn't be cool at RPG, no. I mean, the most I've stretched to, if you remember the f- second episode of our Solomon Kane campaign, yeah, when the bloke saw you coming, he knew you were coming, he hired a bunch of mercenaries, and you fought 20 guys. But they were 20 really weak guys. And I mean, actually, the the, the episode that we've just done on our uh, current campaign, the guys went to a tribe and fought... There was twenty guys, but they're all one HP guys, right? So oh, yeah. you could you could be slicing through through guys, and they were just villagers basically yeah. that were, yeah. So I mean that is one way of doing it, but ultimately, if if you're getting into a combat and you've got so many guys on the field, it looks cool when you take it in pictures. It looks cool in when you describe it later or or when it's in a film, but on a table, it just it really isn't fun because it just takes too long, and it makes n- like no sense to stat and roll for every combatant on the field because you're gonna no, be there all. all day especially I mean, no, if you're imagine pla- that if you had um a, a you know a4 paper wad of characters you'd be like yep so he's here he'd come up to you and he looks at you and be like, oh wait a minute that's uh that's his name's his name's blob knob um yeah and he, he you, you've he done one damage you. to him would well, you want to hit him or do you want to hit the other guy that took three damage or the other one that took seven damage or the other yeah. one that took five damage or do you want me to, oh, let me remind you so there's grant dave chas um phil uh, uh kevin which one is you want to hit what is this situation that you've come up with where where for some reason you know every every enemy's name as well i, uh, I assume this is like you've gone mental in an office building where you work and a mass no, battle it is would be up. it would be the gm because the gm started them all instead of doing your typical oh, right, yeah, villager yeah. one villager two he's he's started them all on actual character sheets and then he's sitting there and he's like giving everyone a name so it's, it's like, like oh, a, so it's you like, work kevin do you it's right, like a well, whole then. ream of paper with like 500 <laughs> sheets in it he's like you, you go can i take that Ke- that guy kevin again and he's, he's like oh fucking hell let me find it. Let's <laughs> go to my index. Uh, it's page two hundred. Uh, there we go. Yep, you do one damage. Cool. Right. Moving on. 
But I think, yeah, it's sort of that. That is sort of what it's like, though, when I've seen GMs do this. But giving the cinematic argument again, right? The camera in a good film would not focus on each individual gunshot, instead focusing in on the ones that directly affect the main characters. So focus in on the action of these pockets of battle where the main character is, right? Oh yes. And in a lot of films as well, you'll see a mow down like five dudes at a time, you know. So so, but a lot of RPGs don't have rules for actually doing that unless it's like big spells and stuff like this but alternatively though D&D 5e's Unearthed Arcana has an interesting take where huge groups of combatants are grouped into units and the players and other main characters are given commander status over one of those units basically Mm. which doesn't necessarily mean they're in command of it in like a military sense it just means that they're the heroes so if your villagers are being attacked you're kind of like um, you, you're just rallying one group of peasants, basically, but you're the commander of that group. Yeah. Um, so there's some annoying maths involved, right, to figure out the battle rating of each unit because you kind of, you know how monsters in D&D and Pathfinder have CR, the combat rating or whatever it's yep. called. Uh, you kind of have to add them all together um, and things like this, which means that uh, the this mass battle system can't be used on the fly. It has to be planned beforehand, which kind of sucks. But um, unit actions take similar ones to the ones typically done in a D&D game, like defend, attack, disengage, and dash. And then you just roll like a D20, attack another unit, uh, add your battle rating, which is like all the CRs added together, and then times one divided by six. But anyway, yeah. So you in, And then you you know do a, a versus another unit. And that is basically it, right? So where do the players come in, right? So as the units fight, the GM has one of three options. Either allow players to come up with the moves that help their unit, then factor into the unit's role, or play out little skirmishes between units, which is actually kind of a okay way of doing it. So maybe like while the two units clash, the fight erupts around them and the two commanders do a big battle in a small gap in the fight. Shit like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And the final option that they give is that the characters don't directly factor into the battle rating of their unit and instead make attack rolls separately against the unit and hit specific people in the unit, which is a fucking stupid idea because it means while the unit is going ham and doing all the work, the PCs are hitting a goblin for four damage among it. You know what I mean? It's a bit shit. Yeah. But anyway, the, the rules for the D&D one actually do contain some good nuggets. They seem to understand the player focus among the main battle and also that the overall military strategy is important and something the players will want to fucking engage in. So that said, and having examined two great examples and one shit one as well, we can boil down to what a mass battle needs to be successful. And it needs to focus in on skirmishes that the players are having, but also allow them to be part of the overall strategy. And so this is something that I think the YouTuber... Dungeoncraft does really well and uh, he proposes a mass battle system that looks like this right so the first phase is the opening sortie right this is where the armies clash it's a mess of swords swinging people dying people's helmets falling off the objective here is basically to survive you beat a difficulty check and you basically get out of it and don't take damage if you lose you take damage a crit success means you win initiative in the next phase and a crit fail means you take more damage basically so yeah, it's just nice and simple. Yeah, just absolutely mental. And then it's the skirmish phase, right? So the GM and players play out the smaller skirmishes happening within the giant battle. For example, when I ran, the players emerge from the opening clash to see their police chief, Clinton, being backed up to the edge of a cliff as he fights off the enemy with his guns. And they're getting closer and closer, and his wife and child cower behind him as he edge closer and closer to the cliff. Battle rages all around them, and it's obvious what they have to do, and succeeding in saving them results in a loss of troops to the Orcs and a bonus in the final phase of the fight. 
which is pretty cool. Mm. And this is this is what he does, and it's a fucking good way of doing it. So you play out a couple more of these little skirmishes, about three to five, and once that's done, you determine a winner, awarding a plus one for each skirmish they won. So then, then the final roll, you basically, the players roll, and depending on what they get, it can be an overwhelming success, all the enemies are dead, slight success where some of the enemies dead, and then the same for fails, basically. And it's pretty awesome. That's about it, right? And after scouring the internet and many books, it's almost, almost the perfect type of mass battle we're after. But here's what it lacks. His system is mainly designed for use where the player characters are caught up in a big battle, but don't have a say over the strategy. And this is what's absolutely perfect. Oh, yeah, sort of like an ambush, isn't it, really? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And so it's kind of like the GM's making up the situations. You're bursting out of fights, and then you're getting in, you're getting involved in the chaos. Do you know what I mean? Rather than yeah. sitting there planning. And it does. it just lacks that one stage. Yeah. Because even if you're defending... You know, you remember that Deadlands game we played, James, where you knew a big mass battle was about to happen um, and you've got the prep time to do it. Mm. And, you know, I'm aware that's not always going to be the case, but I think where possible, try to make it so. Even if it's just like a guy turns up 10 minutes before the fight and says, um, shit, they're coming, they're coming. You know, something like that. Yeah, because there's always the players, that. You know, you see the... Um, <clears throat> pardon me. The... Um, in sort of like films and stuff, you see them on the horizon and then you have a few minutes to prepare and it's you know it's incredible just how quickly if you have troops uh you know and, and people like that how quickly people can actually prepare in those situations yeah i mean uh, I, I was reading um uh the ken follett kingsbridge trilogy recently a really fucking good set of books and there was one where they knew the enemy was coming in about an hour right some guy came back to, to kingsbridge and yeah they didn't do anything amazing they just got everyone to gather rocks into baskets and get up on the walls so that they could smash people in the head with them but it's like you know it at least gives players agency among the chaos you you know you as the dm you can be like okay your fucking your shit goes wrong okay you're trying to gather up rocks it's not quite there whatever but the point is is that you want to give them the option of trying to prepare for it because it makes it more fun basically yeah um but yeah um so the, you know dungeon craft while it's almost perfect it just lacks that and so my rules that I've come up with which I think are perfect I'm going to go through them now and uh, here's my modified version of his rules so it's got a little bit of inspiration from other sources and dungeon craft as well Ooh, let's say strap in I really enjoy strap this in. get ready get ready right because um yeah so you, let's say you have an enemy base you want to attack like in my current campaign and it's your hundreds of men versus theirs right first up is the war room right so it's the strategizing phase and this is where the players have to plan out their attack, or in, or indeed their defence. But they're given three to five big manoeuvres, right? That's what you've got to do. So it's three to five big military moves that they can do. And they can plan it any way they like, and they could do little sub-things within those, but it's five moves, which make up the five encounters you're going to play out. In the case of the game the other day, it went like this. Um, this was their plan they came up with. The first move was a hit squad of 10 of their men were going to scale the enemy base at the back, assassinate the men operating the signal fires, and at which point the hit squad would send a pigeon back to the main forces. This particular step doesn't actually involve the players directly, so instead I just let them roll, then describe the thick, sort of nervous atmosphere as they looked upon the enemy base and the distance awaiting the pigeon. Yeah, this is very, very tactical, and it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a big manoeuvre, but it was a very important one. And it still counted as a step, basically. Um, yeah. The second one was that the flying squadron, led by two characters, um, were to do a bombing run. 
because um, yeah, uh, in OSC knights get flying mounts, so they were dropping uh, masses of explosions on the front gate, flooding the enemy moat with rubble, and allowing the ground forces to come in. So that was the second one. Additionally, they also dropped caged monsters into crucial parts of the fortress as well. Oh which yes, we did. Fucking awesome. Um, so this part was basically it's that's the first, that's their second maneuver, and I basically treated that as an extended skill challenge with many successes needed to avoid turret fire, archer arrows, and discord amongst the flying knights. Basically, um, yeah. So players roll their leadership or any other appropriate skills to make sure the operation pops off. Notice that I didn't actually include the opening sortie phase from Dungeon Craft's thing yet, and I do use it, but just not yet. So, firstly, the two manoeuvres were surprise attacks, so I'll roll surprise, and only then will I do, like, an opening sortie where the, where the two armies clash and you have to just roll to survive it. Also, manoeuvre three, basically, after that, they, they plan the next part of the plan was for the ground forces, also led by two players, to enter the base via the hole made in the last round and split their army down both sides of the base. And this is where the opening sortie or a mini skirmish comes in. Rather than play out every tiny clash, when the characters want to move somewhere in the battle... They clash enemy forces and must roll to survive. Simple as that. Failure equals lost HP and lost troops. So, yeah, because you're leading a unit yeah, of men. Nice and simple. Anyway, the third manoeuvre ended with the, the force being led up the left by Urchin, one of the characters, attempting to find a magic item amongst the enemy buildings, and a force being led up the right, bombing the enemy barracks. And as they moved around, they got involved in mini skirmishes like this, resolved, a few roles, resolved in a few roles, which is kind of new use of dungeon crafts opening salty rules but anyway next round the flying knights were to blow up the enemy's power source a giant staff like object called a mana fracker and this is where i use one of my interruptions or interrupts as i like calling it because it sounds cooler so if your players have planned a five-step operation as a gm you get two interruptions if it's a three-step operation you get one just depends on how much time you've got to play basically but the interrupt is a point in the battle where something unexpected occurs and the players have to deal with that to get on with that step of the plan. So as the flying... Brilliant idea. Yeah, I think it made it quite fun and unpredictable and sort of simulated... Well, the... it's good because you. I know you're going to go into detail about them, but you had two and you used them both. <laughs> mm. I did end up using them both and they were bloody funny. So as the flying knights moved in to do phase two of the bombing and bomb their power source, they hit a mini skirmish, take loads of damage, but survive as they and their forces break out to see the interruption. And basically what it was was the king's brother, revealed to now be working with the enemy, he's amongst the battle, riding a dragon, and he yells, Fandalin, which is the name of their town, pointing at the two flying knight player characters. Now, the player forces are engaged in airborne battle all around them, protecting their explosives, and amongst the two characters, now they must fight off the evil guy to continue with the second bombing run. So it's not like all of their units are getting involved in this thing, but basically because yeah. they've got units, they're safe enough to have this one-on-one -on -one fight amongst the battlefield with this bloke. That's essentially yeah, how it works. Like, you, you would expect, um, I, I feel like in a mass battle, of, you know, real life, the the nobles are protected by their, you know, by their people. So this kind of thing could happen. Exactly. And there should be enough respect um, on the battle to allow that to happen as well, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And, and you know, it's just cinematic. It's fucking cool. I mean, I remember in Lord of the Rings where there was that woman who's, man, my knowledge is really terrible about this, but you know the woman where it's like the Nazgul is there and, and it's like, blades will not pierce the fuck of the Nazgul welded by a man. <laughs> I can't remember the, what the words are. And she's like, I am no man. And she stabs him. 
But imagine if just suddenly some of the enemy forces just went up behind her and conked her on the head. It would be very uncinematic. And this yeah. this kind of Bump. allows for a bit of uh, a bit of cinematic, you know, battles happening. But yeah, they have to they have to get past the interruption to continue with that phase and get it done. So once done with this, the players continue to maneuver and bomb the power source. Meanwhile, each round I'm cutting back to the ground forces as they get involved in the mini battles on the ground, making their way to their next objective, basically. So I'm doing like a couple of, you know, you got a roll to survive this type of situations. Um, in fact, after bombing run number two, the Flying Knight player characters also swooped down to help. And this is where I used my second interruption. Stanley, one of the PCs, is manoeuvring through the battlefield with his squadron, taking damage left, right and centre. His platoon is killed and he's almost dead. Something that I didn't plan for. It actually just, just happened. Every single one of his men died. Yep. And his colleagues all carry out manoeuvre 5. Yeah, and as his colleagues all carry out manoeuvre 5, I kick in with the interruption. Stanley, here's his jealous ex-girlfriend, yelling over the battle. And as the orcs gang up on the now-alone Stanley, their commander, the ex, a woman called Shaniqua, tells them to stand down. <laughs> and now on the battlefield he's in a one-on-one fight with Shaniqua and he has to overcome this in order to continue his mission and go and bomb the fucking barracks so other players come to his aid etc but ultimately this is the end phase of the battle right all the other plans have gone off and and this and the other and we don't roll for winners or losers really unless the battle is like completely inconclusive instead focusing on the narrative elements of the battle right so you could roll to win or lose you could do all of this right but I just I prefer to just narrate it based on how the battle went for for everyone well it it made sense in my opinion because like we did say the five phases and yep. the interrupts um and quite obviously we progressed so we were successful in them yeah so you don't need to do at the end oh here's some number crunching and yeah you by the way you won it's like okay but we passed each phase so we know we won so you don't need to detail that at the end so it made complete sense amongst the fight yeah all of your big maneuvers went off so how the fuck did, why, yeah. yeah what's the point in rolling for it but they they're fully aware that you know they didn't kill everyone and that, that after they killed the two sort of leaders in the base that uh most of yeah, uh, people would run away yeah they scatter they try and leg it because their leaders are fucking dead you know but exactly so, so at this point you know it's not really necessary to narrate uh to, to roll you just need to narrate it really but to recap the whole fucking system because i've gone into it in detail on how it went down in the game so phase one is the war room the characters plan out three to five maneuvers which become the encounters and it makes your job really easy as a GM because they don't all the planning. <laughs> Phase two, if necessary, do the opening sortie round where the characters clash with the enemy and must succeed to survive or take damage. These types of mini fight are also used as the characters try to move around the unit on the battlefield. Phase three, play out each maneuver as an encounter. Phase four, determine a winner. And bonus phases, basically you're adding interrupts into the into the whole thing. Um, use mini slash quick encounters when the players encounter anything more than say five enemies basically among among the battlefield because it's just easier that way yep. and another thing is you know obviously as I mentioned we one of the players got their, uh, their their unit reduced to zero okay now what this means is as they're going around doing these mini encounters through the map and they're losing HP um, just take off an equivalent amount of people for each one HP they lose right and if they reach zero members it means they are going to be involved in a fight with just them and about 50 guys, and they're probably going to fucking die. They're going to take more damage. Um, it's going to be hard for them to move around the, the battlefield, and so you're just going to 
It's just going to roll some quick encounters and it's going to be really, really deadly. So you yeah. want to succeed. Basically. Unless they can think of a crazy way to get themselves out of it or call for help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, including planning, a five manoeuvre mass battle should take you through a full four hour game session. And this system is to be used where the battle is the main focus of a session of gaming. It also assumes some level of knowledge of the enemy base. Um, because obviously that's you're going to plan for it. In in this case, it came from one of the a surviving member of a recon team that went before um, the party went there. If the players have no knowledge of the place they're attacking, well, really this, they should probably do a recce first. But let's say they don't even do that. Well, then the five skirmishes can be vague outlines of what the players want to do when they get in there rather than concrete plans. Yeah. Something like, once I'm in, if I see and find their armory, I'll plant explosives. And then you can... You can make that as part of each encounter. You roll to see if you can find it. If you don't, maybe you can say, no, you don't see an armory um, immediately visible, but you do see a water mill. You could fuck that up if you wanted to, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, basically that that is essentially it. So they might, in this case, they'll have, have to change plans, you know, mid-phase. And it might be um, uh, result in them being involved in more mini-battles or failure altogether. Um, this also works for if the party have been, been given unreliable or false information about the enemy base. You know, you can just say, yeah. you get in there and the armory they said isn't fucking there, so what are you going to do? Um, yeah, yeah, or it's completely backwards, they actually scoped out the wrong place, or we've arrived at the wrong door. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> th exactly, yeah, yeah, you just, you get in there and it's just like, you burst into the armory and you're like, give me the weapons! And it's just a kebab shop. Yeah, like, oh, you would you like chili sauce with that? Yes, please. Make it quick. I'm in the yes, middle sorry. of a fight here. Mm, tasty. Um, yeah, so uh, obviously I, d I didn't mention if you're the defenders. If you're the defenders, give the players, you know, a little while to... But basically, the, the big difference is that as the GM, you make the encounters when they're defending. You make up five yeah. encounters. But the players yeah. can do whatever they can to plan, and you, you better write the fucking encounters down, because if the players do anything that, that stops them, then let them fucking have it. But they don't know what the enemy's plan is... So, you know, you can do whatever the fuck you want, um, but you have to give them time to, to plan. Even if it's 10 minutes, even if you see the army coming down the hill, give them a little bit of time to plan and to do what they can, and then you plan their five encounters. If they're attacking, they plan them. That's the, that's the big difference. And to me, I think this system works. What do you think of it, James? Uh, I'm pretty sure I said it at the time, but it's probably one of the best mass battles. Uh, no, no, sorry, not probably. It is the best mass battle um, I've ever played through it, it was just everything about it was just absolutely amazing like you said because it was broken down into like little segments and then you know the camera was panning out we were jumping between players you know this is you know don't split the party no 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 mass battles you have to split the party you, that's the only way it will it will conceivably work because then you can focus on each individual and the part that they are in charge of and you know some of the troops can work together um like we did during it and all that stuff and it's just made for a more easily understandable cinematic battle like mm. everyone knew exactly what was happening they had their perfect vision of it because it was described uh, i'd say easily because of the fact that it was broken down into segments mm. yes we had a recce done beforehand so we knew the layout which was awesome and it really helped us picture everything and we had a very very good plan to you know tackle and everyone at the table knew what was going on every step of the way and every single role and battle was just you know it, it really really was gripping the whole thing it was a really intense fucking session because it was yeah it was 
it was like any minute anyone could fucking die. People were wrapped up in little battles. People were wrapped up in their encounters, and it just it it, it put the focus because it means that the players get to use their skills in the battle. It's not just determining yeah. uh, one side fighting another. It means that the 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 carefully built up you know player characters get to use their shit and use it to actually help the outcome uh, um, and almost in any way that they like, which is. Very fun, and I, I personally think, to, for me, this is the one I'm going to stick with because I really, really do do enjoy it. And I, I thought that as if, if I felt like drained after that session because it was so fucking intense that at times I was running four encounters at the same time. You know, it was like uh, so, but but I would cut between them frequently. That's another thing. If players do split and you uh, they're, they're playing out their encounters, do it one turn at a time and cut between all four of them because. The, otherwise, yeah. you're going to be there. You're going to be there all fucking night, um, or players are going to sit there for an hour waiting for somebody to resolve yeah. their encounter. So, like James, when I'd say you were fighting the guy on the dragon, um, the flying knights were fighting the guy on the dragon. Um, at the same time, I was playing out one of the other encounters um, that was going on on the ground with the guys moving up. So, all I yeah. do is on the player when we roll initiative on the player side because we're doing group initiative at the moment. I would just say. Yeah. Um, I'll just say, okay, right, we'll cut back to the guys on the ground. Okay, DD in the sky, it's your turn. Then it's the monsters. And then we cut back to the guys on the, you know, like that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the best thing to do is to dart between each, like, section. Um, and, yeah, it just, it builds a bigger picture uh, quicker. And it also allows you to see more of what's happening and rather than just wait until the I end. I don't think we, any player had to wait more than five to ten minutes for their turn. Not no. at all, not at um, all, and that is that's one of the best things I think about this kind of uh, this this mass battle system. Yeah, I, I th- yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you liked it, and I think uh, I, I will be publishing these rules somewhere at some point, just for people to to buy. I'll probably just put it to pay what you want, but I have like a little sheet for planning out battles and shit like this, so I will be publishing that somewhere um soon i but probably i don't know when but yeah anyway um yeah listeners let me know what you thought of my mass battle rules which are like a, a mutant hybrid of loads of different ones um and if you've if you know of a better one uh, let me let me know because I'd, I'd i'd love to hear that but let's uh, speaking of listeners let's do some electro letters okay okay in the future you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet. This, sir, is the Electro Letter. So, uh, not a popular question this time, James. We uh, we asked for everyone's favourite adventures. It can be published or otherwise. And uh, we only got uh, we only got a couple of replies on this one because it wasn't a popular. But sometimes you know you can't hit them. Can't. Can't hit the good ones every time, you know. You're not always hitting a six, so I've, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, I failed. Also, to be fair, we were supposed to be playing Mork Borg today, and I put the question up quite late because we only found out about lockdowns on Thursday. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, yeah. Best adventure published or otherwise. Daniel Irwin. He comes in. He says, not sure if it was a published adventure or homebrew, but a game of paranoia years ago has never made me laugh so much. It's the conceit of the game, quite frankly, but the PCs were killing each other so frequently it was hilarious. I personally took out the entire party at one point as I had a rocket launcher with a collection of rockets, but none of them were labelled, so the effect was random. I fired it and it turned out to be a nuke. Everyone, <laughs> Despite everyone being dead, we all rolled around laughing while our new clones were delivered. 
but then half of them immediately got radiation poisoning and died too. Hashtag the computer is always right. <laughs> I actually don't. I, I I know so little about Paranoia, but I, I didn't know that you you played clones in it, or maybe that was just his game. But yeah, that is fucking awesome. I yeah, don't sounds think like we need to delve into it, eh? Yeah, well, I'm fairly certain that nobody will publish an adventure where the players were intended just to kill each other at the beginning and then come mm. back to life and then die immediately again. But I do like a good fucking. I mean, that's why I like uh, Intrigue at the Court of Chaos so much, uh, the DCC adventure, because you know. It's, it's A, you're doing, like, god-level adventures at fucking level one, which is so much fun. And in addition to that, like, it is the whole conceit of the adventure is to try and get the party to fight each other at the end because all of these chaotic gods offer them different things if they give them the artifact the players are sent to retrieve. So oh, it yeah. depends on your alignment. So certain people have this little vision, and it might be of one god. Certain people have it of the other god, and they're all saying, give it to me. And right at the end, people are supposed to fight each other. In the four times I've run that adventure, I, it's never actually happened that way, but they, there has been arguments about it. Yeah, next one comes in from Robert Woford. He says, We played in a West End game Star Wars mission in which we ended up hijacking a damaged Imperial Star Destroyer and crashed it into a slave labour mining camp. Half the group was on the ship, the other half was getting the slaves out. That was in the 90s, early 2000s, and we still talk about the epicness of that mission. What is a oh, fucking nice. Star Destroyer? I'm not a big Star Wars fan. Um, well, is it like a Death Star? I think it's that, yeah. Okay, so they crashed a Death Star into a slave. How I mean? How big would that be in comparison to the slave camp? Isn't a Death Star like a planet size? Yeah. That would be like putting an orange on an ant. And I mean a big orange. Yeah, pretty much. A big, a big orange. Not a small orange. A big orange. So yeah, that's pretty cool, man. And yeah, I I, I love it when you have those stories like. There's huge parts of games I can never fucking remember that we've played over the five years our group's been together. But then there's like there's certain missions that you always go back to and talk about, and certain certain moments. And I I, I do love those fucking things. I mean, the one that always comes up is our GURPS game that we played for you know nearly six months, and then all of your work went out the window because of a bunch of stupid moves, basically. Um, and the ship got bombed yeah. and sent to shit, and it's like. Yeah, those legendary stories that come up within your RPG group. It's like, fuck, I can't believe that happens, you know? And it's it's so much fun. But yeah, fucking driving a planet into another one, That's got that's got to be up there, right? That's pretty pretty intense as things go. It is pretty intense. But yeah, that's that's basically it. We got two emails. We got two emails. But I think killing... Uh, email of the week, it goes to, it's got to go to Dan Irwin because he killed all of the player characters with a nuke by accident. Yeah. Funny enough, it's not even. Definitely. I mean, that did sort of happen in our Fallout game as well, didn't it? Because we, well, no, completely, we were did. trying to disarm we a nuke. We didn't fire it at the players, but yeah. yeah. Session three, TPK, and it's like, right. So next week we'll just start from a hundred years in the future. Yep, yep, yep. And new, all new characters as well. It was, yeah, it was yeah. fucking annoying. It was three sessions in. It was so funny seeing my brother's face though, because he didn't know what to do. He thought this campaign was over. He'd been preparing for months. And then he was just like, he was just like, "Fuck, you guys are dead. What am I gonna do?" Yeah, it's like you say months. He was he 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 bought his time well, didn't he? He just kept putting it off. Oh yeah, he always does that. He was. It's so funny because whenever it gets to, um, I don't know if uh, other other listeners have have experiences, but whenever it gets to time for Sean to run his campaign, he just goes like, "Oh, what what next week? We're doing it next week. Like like maybe." Or do you fancy running like a couple of one shots or something? It's always the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pad, pad it out. It'd be like, oh yeah, would you want to just sort of like take a break? It's like, no. Oh, he did, did say that like... once, didn't he? The fucking idiot. We haven't taken yeah, a break in like... five years. Like, 
I mean, the only time we've ever taken a break is when the GM is on holiday. That's it. But we're not. Yeah. No, we're not taking a break because because of you. Yeah. And I think we've only really done that like uh, even once or twice because Handful. we've had um we've had filler filler um, sessions as well. You know, just a one shot, just to get together to continue um, living the passion. That's a that's a good fucking point. Yeah, because when Nick was running Gen Lab and he went on holiday for two weeks, we did. Uh, Line and Dragon, and we did uh, Tales. Fuck, the Daring Tales, I think it's called for Savage Worlds, yeah. like a nineteen twenties game. We also had um, a mini, a mini made campaign. Oh, two that free was, sessions. That was good. Yeah, that was that was really uh, fun. Yeah. All right. Well, we got one general question. It comes in from John the Paladin. He says, "Do you guys play video games? If so, what are your favourites? Are there any like you'd like to see turned into an RPG?" Like James is going to say Mario. I'm going to say Metal Gear. Nick is going to say Destiny. All right. Fuck off. All right. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's actually true. Um, but yeah, let's go into it a bit more. So, your favourite games, Mario games, Odyssey. Yeah, that's you think that's the best one. Uh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty, uh, pretty up there to be honest. I do have to agree, mate. It's such a fucking good game. And you know, I don't really play Mario games by myself. I tend to play them like with my brother or something. But that was one I could. I fucking loved, yeah. man. It was so good. It was so so much fun. But, and like the controls are just so fucking tight on that game. And the the yeah, really different... intuitive. And I like the fact that uh, you know ever since um, the Wii and the motion controls and um, Mario Galaxy, they've yeah they've really pushed those kind of controls to the to the games on the on the Switch. And it's like yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I like the I like the fact that the motion stuff is sort of optional in uh, Mario Odyssey. Yeah, and there's, the, there's bits where it can it can you can lean into it and it's so helpful because you can just sit there cuz you know like you, you don't like it when you see me playing the the Switch cuz I'll sit there with my arms folded and you're like what are you doing whereas my hands are you know next to me. I have to really attach it to that I, I have to attach it to the grip. I can't play it. Yeah. My actually my brain gets confused like it's stupid. It's really stupid. Yeah. But I did try I, I replayed Breath of the Wild recently and I was um lying down playing just with my arms by my sides and I've got to say it's way more comfortable especially because I've got oh, um, RSI in my right arm but yeah Mario Odyssey is sick man it's like I, I really like the um, how quickly you can find the moons in the game like now they've been replaced with stars because it's such a great game for portable shit when I was on oh, yeah. holiday yeah, and yeah. I was playing it you know every night while my wife takes three hours to get fucking ready um, it was such a such a good game just to play and like knock out a few stars yeah. well and- I used to have um, you know 20 minute train journey turned from work and I the amount that I completed during that time yeah I mean I tried to do the fucking 500 moon challenge but you know before, before there's the 250 one and you have to fight yeah. every boss in the game in a row and you can only get hit yeah. three times I was like I'm just not good enough to do this so I just gave it back I, to you because I borrowed it off you I, yeah I did thems yeah I know you did but you're good at those games I'm really fucking not <laughs> Um, I've done, I don't really play like Mario games that often, but that one was a fucking good one. I mean, the, the, to yeah. me, the best one of all time was uh, Mario World, and then this one's really knocked it off the, off off the top there. Oh yeah, it has. Oh, but further to go on the question, um, I don't think it's conceivably possible to make um, a Mario RPG. Not a tabletop one. Let's put it that way. Because no. otherwise, people are going to be like, "What about Paper Mario?" And let's be honest, that's been shit for years anyway. Um, I, Although I do kind of want a new one. Uh, well, we'll talk about it off, off the podcast. No, we are. I'll talk about it now. <laughs> Fucking um, the new one. Apparently, what I've heard about it is it is an RPG video game, right? 
but the combat, mm. the way it works, you know, like like say for example in Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga for the Game Boy Advance, in that one, uh, combat with like regular enemies takes seconds. So when you're just jumping on a Goomba, it's like you you put your couple of hits in. If you time it well, you fucking kill them. But like in this new yep. one, it's like grid based combat, so even minor oh, combats no. take fucking ages. That's what I've heard. So. Oh, so they're trying to Pokemon it? Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Fuck so sake. it's a bit. It, so yeah, I, d- I don't know if it'll be worth getting. Uh, I'd say look up some, maybe, f- some maybe footage. I won't. Yeah, yeah. But any like yeah, because I don't. Uh, one of one of our players that is at our table, they once did say that they were going to do a Savage Worlds Mario campaign, and I I convinced him not to because it was a terrible idea. Um. Would have been awful. You just you just can't do it because no one no one can play any of the main characters. You can well, only no. You play... could because you could be a new new Mario brother. Uh, no, you couldn't. That it's not been seen in the games or a new Wamario brother. You could be Wamario, uh, Wamario, Wamario, Mario. No, th- <laughs> <laughs> it's a me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, fucking um. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, that would have sucked. I mean, who are you going to play as? A Cooper Trooper? Yeah, that'd be great. Boglin. That'd be fucking great. Yeah, it'd be shit. Um, so yeah, fucking. I'd say my favourite game series, probably of all time, currently, is Dark Souls and and Bloodborne. Of course, I love those fucking games. They're just. What's weird is is that they're known for having a reputation for being being difficult, right? But the thing about it is, is that it's all about learning enemy patterns and learning a map, and then and sort of uh, yeah, you get good by sort of learning and, and retrying things. I mean, that's what makes it so fucking fun. And I find the, the game's quite relaxing to play. I've completed all of them, um, and I just sit there, I stick a podcast on, just sort of bang my head against the wall in the game a few times, get through areas, things like this, and I realise I'm quite bad at them because by the end of each game, I do get to a point where the enemies are too good. To, to like I can't beat them so I just run through all the final areas without getting any more XP <laughs> and then just cheese the, the last boss in some way but yeah I, I don't I think there's like some sort of subsystems that I'm not realising because James this game is so bad at tutorialising and I think really? it's on purpose yeah it, it basically tells you nothing it just drops you in and you just have to fucking do it I mean the only reason I've managed to complete them is via YouTube videos and summoning other players that is literally it <laughs> the I recently um, completed Bloodborne again with my brother and we got to the last boss and we realised we were so underleveled and we summoned a guy that was clearly hacking and he just killed it in one hit and we just went, well, that was a bit underwhelming. Completed the game. <laughs> again. But yeah, um, any that I'd like to see turned into an RPG, I, I don't... There's not really many that I, I would, to, to tell you the truth. I mean, I have kind of like video games and RPGs to be separate. I play video games for very different reasons. You know, they've got good stories, good worlds to them, but I think I'd like to keep it where it is. I often nick stuff from RPGs. Like, I've re- uh, replayed Death Stranding recently nice. and uh, put put um, all, all, like a lot of stuff from that in our current campaign yep. and stuff like this. But yeah, that's probably my favourite game of all time, Dark Souls. I do I do have to say, this, I've been playing one recently. I think I mentioned it on the pod, pod before. We've been using the soundtrack as the soundtrack to our current campaign is uh, Caves of Cud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a really what what annoys me about it is it's a terrible terrible name for a game. It is pretty. It, does, uh, it sounds pretty shitty. Yeah, well, and it looks it too. That's the problem. But the thing about it is, is that on a first glance, you look at the name, you look at the game, and you go, "Oh, mate, that's not for me." Because it, it uses, you know, like ASCII art. You know, where everything yeah. is 
So it's like that. Now it's got tiles on it, which it has had from for some time, but it still looks like a DOS game. But the thing is, by having a really simple look to the game, they've made a really complicated and deep systemic game rather than a game that has good graphics or, anim- or animations. It doesn't have animations. Well, it barely does. But the thing about it is is that it's basically like playing Mutant Crawl Classics on your computer, and it's really huh. fucking good. Like The world cool. is randomly generated for the most part, except for key locations, so you can just stumble across weird stuff, and it's also permadeath, so you, you can die instantly. <laughs> no. And I've spent probably the first 20 hours dying at similar points getting a little bit better, like setting up my character a bit differently and then trying again. And it's a really fucking good game. And it's one that I find myself returning to a lot, despite the fact that it looks like shit and it's quite obtuse and weird to play, but it is just so much fun. It's so deep. Like a lot of the lore, for example, in the game is also randomly generated. So, for example, you often find legendary people you can do a water ritual with to learn stuff from them. So you pour water over yourself. And you can learn stuff from them. But sometimes the legendary enemies will be something like a baboon, which, as you can see, is probably inspiration for our current campaign because there's been a lot of baboon fights in there. So, um, yeah, so I, I met a legendary uh, enemy the other day called... It was like called the Great Oo-Oo-R-E-E-E or something like this. That's a that's a pretty well-thought-out name. <laughs> I know, it's cool. But, yeah, it's a fu- I, I would say if you've, if you've got a tenor, buy Caves of Cud. That's Q-U-D and play it because it is so much fun. It's just you, you. If that, I like the look of it personally, but I, I can see why people wouldn't because it looks like a DOS game. Is it DOS? But game? it's not. It's wicked. Is it wicked? It's a wicked game. You got any other favourite games? No, 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 no. Should we give a shout out to the Ricky Cunio games? Oh yeah, mate, they're great. This is just like unsung hero of video games because this is like a uh, Japanese only. Pretty much everyone remembers River City Ransom, right? That's the one we got in the West, right? Mm. Um, but actually, it's a fucking series with shitloads of games and the best sports games ever made as well. <laughs> they were great because <laughs> like you could fight each other and like kick the ball or, or throw it or whatever. It would turn into a banana or a... well, you can't throw it, but what you can do is put it in between your legs, jump onto one of your teammates' heads while he carries you and throws you into the goal. And this was an NES game. Yeah. Fu- it was so fucking good, and the um, it's still fun to play nowadays. But like. For example, and, and also that uh, like if you get enough speed, then jump, then kick the ball, you can get like so much power into a shot that you get a special shot for your country. And yeah. for example, Argentina, it turns into a banana, and it can smash through the enemy goalkeeper and just burst into the goal. And it's it's a fucking weird game, but like yeah, good good series of games about rival schools in Japan. Really fucking it's good. Really good. Check them out. All right, so that is the video game chat. Let's do an outro. Okay, bye. James. Yeah. What's the email address? Uh it's at gmail.com. James, where's the Facebook site? Uh free T RPG pod in it. Without what? the in it. Yeah, take it out. Uh James. Hmm. What should they do about money? Where should they deposit it? I should put it directly into our banks or go to patreon.com forward slash free TRPG pod. Yeah, James's account number is three one four five H one T. All right. Well, I've been Harrison Hunt. I've been James Clark. 
And this has been the 3T RPG Podcast. Remember that D20s are cool, but 20Ds, now that's a good time. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Right. And stop the recording. Release. Release me.